Welcome to RSS, the Revolutionary Sports Front, your dirty, nasty, and controversial sports talk podcast for all things Detroit sports and sports worldwide. Here are your hosts, Tony, Jerry, Frank, and Gerard, four lifelong friends born and raised in South Detroit. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today, on our fourth episode, we got finally some fan-fucking-tastic feedback here. Um, I'm I'm kind of excited, Frankie, because this kind of has to do with you, man. Oh, okay. Are Are you ready for this? Sure, you're already dropping F-bombs, let's go. Oh, you know why I'm dropping F-bombs? Because it has to do with the F-bombs. <laughs> so here, here we go, Frankie. My future father-in-law listens to our show every week. And he was saying that apology that was made about the F-bombs was a little, little soft. A little Just soft? Saying. Oh, okay. So he said the apology was a little soft and that we either need to be dirty or not, so we're, we got to pick one or the other. Um, so I think I think a good way to start us off is let's, I think we hold the vote. Are we are we going to do this dirty, or are we going to are we going to stay as clean as we can? Okay, for I'll go first. I vote for explicit. Uh, I vote for bleeping out the explicit. You know my thoughts. I already said them. I guess they're soft. <laughs> uh, I'm down with explicit, but I was on my first, the second show, I did drop one too many F-bombs. And by one, I mean like 17. How about everyone, <laughs> everyone could just be themselves? I'll, I'll, I'll be soft. I'm just going to conduct myself in my way, and you guys can just, you know, go rapping away. Well, well no one said you were soft, Frank. We were just saying the apology was kind of soft. I mean, we, we either be dirty or not, so... Well, um, he can find me at gmail.com. He knows my information, so... <laughs> <laughs> so... So, Mark, Mark, this is for you. I think uh, my vote's to go explicit. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to do it up dirty. I think we're going we're gonna to be ourselves. We're going to try not to go overboard. Uh, but we're, we're going we're gonna to just be ourselves and, and talk sports here. So, hey, with, with that out of the way, um, let, let's go to one of the big topics for this weekend, the alumni game between the, the Red Wings and the Avalanche. That was amazing for me. You know, it's like takes me back to growing up as a little kid. Watching Wah, Iserman, Forsberg, Shanahan, all those guys out there playing again. It was great. I mean, it sucks that we lost, but at the same time, it was a fun game to watch. And, you know, seeing Iserman get one more goal in a Red Wings uniform, probably one of the best things I could ever have predicted for that game. You know, I'll tell you what, the... The game itself was all right. First of all, the Avalanche looked a lot better. There's no getting around it. The score kind of kind of showed it too. But the the intros, man, just you know, uh, the, uh, before the national anthem, when uh, the Wings got introduced one by one, then they did the home Avalanche one by one, then the national anthem, and they were showing the build up, the the old highlights. It, it was a uh, it was a nice Mostly emotional highlights for Colorado. <laughs> it was an emotional. Uh, Experience and it was fun. It definitely was fun. It was a fun game, but they definitely looked a lot sharper out there from from start to finish. The Avalanche did, but we won the real game. We'll get to that later. Yeah, that's what, that's what I kind of noticed too. Uh, I think I think those guys, you know, it was, it was a home thing for them. Um, you know, they wanted to put on a show for their people. And if you, if you look at the lineups too, most of the Avalanche team still works for the Avalanche, so it probably wasn't hard uh, getting some practices together for those guys. Most of the Red Wings team, they're all off to the winds, uh, making everyone else better in the NHL. 
um, from, the, from the Red Wings formula. So um, pulling those guys into play and practice was probably not as easy. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Colorado looked a little bit better. Um, well, the biggest thing I liked was, was the amount of contact and, uh, and, and a little bit of a nasty side to it. And I don't think you'll see in any other alumni game. Oh, yeah, normally the alumni still... games are like a Pro Bowl. There's no checking, no real hard play. Just kind of like, oh, let's go around, skate, have a little fun. I mean, these guys, you can tell they still don't really like each other after all these years, and they were going hard out there. When the oh, Red Wings are marching out Conklin versus Y, you know, it's kind of going to be lopsided. You know, that's not really a fair goalie matchup. I don't get how Conklin got the start. I don't get why he was on the team, honestly. And if I were known it was Conklin versus Y, I would have done a lot. I texted our, we have a group chat on this show. I texted the group chat and said Manny Legacy should have probably got the start from the beginning. He didn't even let up a goal. He let two in. They Man, both Legacy, two. they both let two in? Oh, yeah. I stand corrected. I just I don't know where the dominator or Chris Osgood was. Chris Osgood's doing the Fox Sports thing. How do they not just like, hey, Chris, get pads on and get the game? Osgood was injured, Tony. We both were. Well, so, yeah, that's that's one thing. I Yeah, Osg- Osgood was injured. But, uh, yeah, Hasek or, um, or Vernon would have been great to have there. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure what Mike Vernon's doing with his life, though. He might be uh, off the map, so to say. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's another thing, too, about these alumni games is a lot of guys move on with their life and, I could see Mike Vernon being overrated. I'm not really sure they're at. I think, God, Lidstrom, Lidstrom looked like the best player on both teams, though. That guy. Well, he's still got it. At it too. Yeah, he didn't need to retire when he did. He's just like, oh, I'm not amazing anymore. I'm just like above average. I'm going to quit. Well, I'm glad you said it about Lindstrom, though. He was throwing some, some NHL caliber dime passes, like, you know, point to point. And uh, he didn't really yeah. have anyone to throw him to, though. Like, I mean, Fisher was out there a little bit, but. He was making some great plays, but, I mean, you can't just – I mean, he's a defenseman. You can't do it all yourself. You know, he's making some good plays out there. But we just didn't look – in my opinion, we didn't look uh, as crisp as the avalanche. I mean, the Eisman goal was touching. It was nice. Shanahan got that one late. But, I mean, the second period was kind of a stalemate. I don't think any goals were scored in the second period, were they? Two to one, I think it was, the whole time. And uh, yeah. they just looked better. You know, foot, Ozelinch. Man, all, some of those guys, I mean, I, it's hard not to like some of those guys. I'm not going to lie, even though I hate the Avalanche. But uh, In his interview, I don't know if it was post-game or you know, they're doing in-game interviews, McCarty said it was the last great hockey rivalry, and that got me thinking, is that true or not? You know, when you think about some of the articles that were written um, and, and the way they were put, and I, I, you know, I watched a lot of the old clips on YouTube this past week. I was showing, uh, I was showing some of my coworkers. Uh, those clips and stuff. I mean, they were just sitting there. Like some of these guys have never even watched hockey in their life, and they're sitting there looking at this. They're like, "This seriously happened?" I mean, this was only like you know ten years ago or fifteen years ago. Like this, this happened during my lifetime, and I didn't see this. Um, yeah, it was ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty unbelievable how uh, from from ninety six to two thousand two um, that one of the articles was was titled you know based off of Larry Onoff comment. So they they let us go to war. I mean, Wait, no, yeah, correction, it was 20 years ago, I screwed up my math, and I didn't realize I'm this old. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, through our childhood, I mean, we watched, we watched some pretty nasty hockey. If um, you watch those highlights, man, none of that stuff would fly now. I mean, like, oh, those, no. those hip checks over the top of the head, and, like, uh, the, in front of the net, the goalies, you know, hacking in the groin, and all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, none of that stuff would fly, but I mean, they just, the refs just let that stuff go. 
Oh yeah, it was that was uh, Cicerelli. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You're showing. How about, it, how about that Shank by Cicerelli too? He had one to bury there. Did you guys see that? I know, well, I remember. I remember watching live Holmstrom too. He, he used to take it to the groin all the time from Wall too. Uh, I mean, it was dirty. It was dirty, and uh, Wall even said in his interview he wanted revenge for the Vernon fight, um, and that's why he fought Osgood. Uh, God, yeah. I mean, it, lost every again, game, though, huh? I think that? he kind of had that one against Ozzy. I think Wild won that one. Yeah. Vernon, My heart, I'll never believe that. Vernon took him down, though. Vernon won first. And then they showed the highlight of the Hashik one where Hashik tried, tripped over the stick because him and Hashik oh, were about yeah. to go. Remember that? He tried, he tried to fight him, too. So. Yeah, Hashik would have whooped him. <laughs> you know, you know flexed himself around him or something. <laughs> uh, Slinky first time. That would have been just one of those fights like against like the weird kid or something. You like you don't know what to do because he's so weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, man, if you really do think about it, that, that, that is probably one of the, the last great rivalries. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know. I was trying to think of one. The only thing comparable is like Boston and Montreal. But the only people who care about that are Boston fans and Montreal fans. Uh-huh. When the Wings and Avalanche played, like it was must see TV. You didn't know what was going to happen. Somebody could literally like lose a face. And that was yeah. back when hockey was on ESPN there for a while, too. That's a bit, but it was more popular, too. I mean, you, you could compare yeah. like Pittsburgh and Washington or Pittsburgh-Detroit there for a minute, but it's not the same. No one no. believes that. No. no, it's not the same. I mean, I mean, with those games, too, those were like Saturday matinee ESPN games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody everybody was watching them who knew hockey. Um, and the, the games were always, always, always uh, – Entertaining. I mean, it was every call was was a big deal. Um, penalties and whatnot. Uh, you know, it was it was fun to watch. Well, yeah, ESPN and the mainstream media they tried to do it with Ovi and and Sydney. You know, they tried to do it with those two, just make a, another rivalry start up. But it's just it, like I said, it's not the same. It's it was more yeah one versus one skill versus skill. It wasn't like a team bloody you know war. Someone said yeah. it wasn't like that. It was kind of it was kind of cool too with. Uh, you know the, the commentators back then too, Bill Clement and uh, oh god, those guys it? were great. Yeah, the, those those guys were, were great at commentating hockey. And then you look at today too. I mean, like, I want to use this to kind of transition into our stadium series here, the the uh, the current the current uh, teams game. Um, I mean, the NBC's broadcasters. I, I don't know, man. They're, they're they're a little something else. They're they're not like really. I don't think they're very good to begin with. What's the guy's uh, name? I don't mind him. The one guy, the old Doc guy, Edzo or Doc. Oh, and, yeah, Doc, Enzo, Emmerich. Doc Emmerich. Yeah, right. he's not too bad, but it's, yeah. The other guys, I mean, they're so they're a little dramatic for me. They're a little uh, a little too much. I mean, it's like every time someone touches the puck, they're uh, they're all over them. They're like, oh my god, the greatest hockey player ever. You know, look at look at this move. And, I mean, Tyson Berry, all he did was turn with the puck and, and Helm didn't check him because he was on a penalty kill. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then and then you look at every goal, and, and where's Tyson Berry? He's on the ice uh, for, for pretty much all four of the Red Wings goals. So uh, he must have had a great game. Yeah, but uh, speaking of announcers, just kind of real quick. Uh, <laughs> I was going to do a drop. But uh, so... I was going to say, do you guys remember who the Detroit play-by-play announcer was for that fight where McCarty had uh, Lemieux turtled up in the goalie spot? He's doing a UFC now. Yep, Mike Goldberg. Mike Goldberg. He was, he's the Detroit play-by-play guy from that year. Yeah. So he got a nice start to announcing fights that way, I guess. Yeah, 
that, that's probably where he got into it. He, he was calling. He was calling the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship between uh, Detroit and Colorado, and then he went to the, the sport. It'd be nice if hockey was still like that, man. I wish the rivalry with Colorado we still fought every time we played them. Yeah, and you know the, the the game has changed too. It's gotten a lot faster. It's more of a skill game. So the, the amount of fighters, period, in the league uh, has gone down. I mean, if John Scott, you know, we talked about him, you know, about the All Star game. That dude would be a hot commodity um, in that in that time period. I mean, the fact that he could fight and stuff. I mean, the Red Wings would probably be, be itching to get him around that time, but not 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 so much right now. I think yeah. the time fights happen now is when somebody does something dirty. And then they have to come back and have your enforcer fight the guy who did the dirty thing, and then there's just, and it's just one yeah. fight. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in my mind, no matter what, every Stanley Cup team ha- does have uh, a, set of, a set of tough guys, you know, whether it's like a couple on offense and one on defense. Um, you, look, you, look at, you look at the Blackhawks, they got Bickle and Shaw, and on the back end they, had, uh, they got Seabrook there, who's a, who's a big, tough defenseman. Um, the, the, the guys who agitate and play physical are very, very, uh, are still very, you know, apparent and a big deal on, on a team that competes for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, um, with the Wings, I mean, the, I'd say probably one of the guys you see getting the most fights is Abdulkader, and he's also one of our uh, scorers, too. He's always playing with uh, Zetterberg and Datsuk and picking up goals there or assists with them. Well, Abdicator is just a natural-born playmaker. I mean, everybody remembers when Michigan State beat old BC in the NCAA Finals. I think it was 1.7 seconds left on the clock to send it to OT or win the game, something like that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So I don't think he's uh, very tough. I want to over-transition to the stadium series, though. So a good win by Detroit, 5-3. to three. Um, Not really too interested in talking about the other games this week because this this really kind of takes the cake. Um Unless you guys want to talk about the Columbus game. Hey, what's his face? Is that Anna got his first goal in that game? Ant- oh, right, the And then didn't he kill it on the power play or the penalty shootout too? Yeah. 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 Well, he, he made a good move. He didn't score, but he had a pretty pretty nasty move there. He, he went right around the guy. It was, it was kind of embarrassing for the Columbus defenseman. But um, that, that guy that guy's starting to get more ice time. And he's, he's a speedster. He's probably just as fast as Larkin is. We got Helm now too with a lot of speed. So, yeah, the end of the offense might be changing a little bit here with, with Athens to you up front, which is you know good or bad. We'll, we'll see in the future. But um, uh, you know, well, for the people out there who don't know, why don't you just quickly break down what happened in the game against the Avalanche, and then we'll talk about it. So I didn't watch well, the whole game. So in the Avalanche game, we uh, we had the opening the Tatar goal. And then two quick goals by the Abs in the first period there. Uh, second period, a lot, a lot of power plays by the Wings. So it was a little lopsided if you were to look at the stats. I think it would favor the Red Wings uh, based off the, just the amount of power plays they had in that period. Yeah, but they um, weren't getting a lot of shots on their power plays. They were passing around when they did take shots. A lot of times they were getting blocked and they weren't getting that many shots on net. Right, So and, and, and I wanted to talk about that too. Uh, but anyways, the second period scoreless. And then the third period there. The, uh, the Red Wings blew up with uh, four goals, one empty netter, um, and the, the Avalanche added one as well to, to tie it. But um, and in, the, in the final minute, Richards Richards puts in a, uh, a funny bounce, and then Helm, Helm uh, is off to the races to put in the empty netter and put it away. So, um, you know, was it a complete game by the Red Wings? Uh, probably not. Not many have been this year, but they found a way to win it and, and stay very tight uh, in this in this playoff race. So, you know, this game means a lot more than, than just playing outdoors. 
Um, we got the trade deadline tomorrow, and then a- after the trade deadline, that's usually kind of like the uh, it's like the final marker, you know, the third base, if you will. Um, you know, they're, they're in the home stretch toward the playoffs, and it's it's a sprint. Uh, it is very, very, very tight in the Eastern Conference, especially in the Atlantic Division, and the Red Wings have a lot of work to do. So, you know, how how this game, you know, really. Uh, affects things, it affects it positively, but they got they got a good Dallas team on Monday, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was going to say, I know in the Atlantic Division, Detroit's in fourth place in the division, and they're only five points behind Florida, who's leading the division. It's very close there between them, Boston, Tampa Bay. So it's going to be a tight one. I mean, all, all four of those teams, though, do seem to be putting a little bit of space between them and Ottawa, and the Canadians, the teams that are behind them. I mean, Detroit's right now got a seven-point lead over the Senators, so that's good for, for them. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the trade deadline kind of does to certain teams. I mean, Florida made some moves. Um, how that's going to affect their chemistry and things like that. Uh, I, I mean, I think Hilder will probably complement their power play. He's kind of a power play type guy um you know montreal is kind of in the fire sale mode which is curious to me um all they're really missing is price and if they just wait until next season they pretty much feel the same team and uh probably probably pretty good um yeah but they yeah. might be saying this season's a lost cause let's get rid of some bad contracts some of the bigger contracts free up cap space and pick up a bunch of draft picks and then we go into the draft we you know, try and build for the future there, and then we also have cap space so we can sign some free agents right now, and that way we'll, you know, have a decent team and so we can get this talent ready to play for us, and then we get all this great talent playing for us, and we're unstoppable. Well, we yeah. better do something. I'm looking right now. It just took me a minute to register this, but after we play Dallas, we're going to be in the teens as far as games left. There's going to be 19 games left after that, and I mean, man, I mean, we're approaching, approaching April, and... Uh, we're gonna need some teams ahead of us to lose some games. We're gonna have to step it up because this is getting—it's coming down to the wire here. You said sprint. I mean, it's getting pretty close here. So no, you're, you're absolutely right. And one name that kind of jumped out to me in, in kind of the rumor mill online and everything is is Max Pacioretty. It's kind of why I brought the Canadians there. Um, if if Pacioretty is on the trade block for Montreal, um, he would absolutely be a guy the Red Wings could use. He's got size. He's a shooter, uh, 30 goal scorer consistently throughout his career. Um, he is something the Red Wings do not have. And Holland, you know, in a statement he, he mentioned yesterday, is he, he likes the depth on defense. Uh, he likes he's not doing anything in net. And uh, if you if he's going to bring something in, it's going to be a top six forward, who is something that we we do not have. He doesn't want to bring in say like a slight upgrade from Yurko or a slight upgrade from Nyquist. Um, and and. To me, out of all the players available on the market, um, like a Taylor Hall or a Max Pacioretty is an absolute uh, sure upgrade. And, and Edmonton, too, they're, they're going into fire sale mode. And if Taylor Hall's on the table, um, it depends on what we'd be willing to give up for him. But I feel like Edmonton's been in fire sale mode since, like, 1999, man. They got some first-round overall number one draft picks. Hey, and, and they're all pretty good, man. I mean, they're, they're, up, they're up for sale right now, so... Well, like I mentioned a million times, they they got Larkin, Ethan, to see you, young young dudes they can build around. Um, 
they add they add another piece around that age group, and you could see a good core forming for the future. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad we got that win in Denver, but how quickly Denver scored the goal to tie it up after going up 3-2 is just absolutely disturbing to me. I don't get how the Red Wings let that happen. <coughs> All five guys on the ice looked lost, and the net was just wide open. It was just, I can't believe how it happened. Yeah, no, I mean, that's been the kind of the Wings' problem all year, though, is they get that late lead, and then they think, like, oh, we got this, and they kind of fall asleep for the next two minutes, and then they give up another goal, and then you're watching the other team tie it up, and then now it's all of a sudden we're going to overtime, and then a shootout, and we lose in a shootout, or we lose in overtime, or we get discouraged even after we give up that tying goal, and we give up a game-winning goal with only, like, five minutes left in the game. And it's one of those things where I don't know what, what it is with this team mentally that it seems that that's what they always do after they score a goal to take a lead or tie it up late in the game, where they kind of seem to just think that they have it in hand now and they got it and they sit back on their laurels. It was nice to see Nyquist get one, though. 12-game scoring drought he had going. Over yeah, the- He's been a guy who's been a curious case for a while. And I, I even I've even mentioned you know to you guys off you know offline or, uh, or or you know even on the show a little bit is I mean he he's a possible guy we could trade to, to upgrade you know for a guy like Patrick or something. And last night he looked like he was a guy who, who did not want to be traded. So yeah, I've always had high hopes for Nyquist, but I think he just might be a little too soft. Well, he started off the season hot and then he just got really cold here of late, and I mean that's. Always, I think, kind of been the issue with Nyquist is he starts. He's he's so streaky where it's like he'll have twelve great games and he'll follow up twelve games where he plays out of his mind with twelve games where you don't even realize that he's on the ice because he's not doing anything out there. Soft like Sherman Ultra. I just think I think as a team too, we kind of lack size, Um, and for for a guy with a lot of skill, there's also a lot of plays where I just see him get really push off the puck and to, to get a bigger goal scorer um, in exchange for him uh, I think that would be beneficial to us I think that would change the off the look of the offense a little bit bigger guys just create more room for skill players you know and uh, with with a guy like maybe Hall or Petra a little bit bigger um, it, it's gonna it's gonna be a little harder on defenses in the playoffs to get them off the puck so um so with that, I think uh, I think that about wraps up for NHL this week. We're going to keep uh, we're going to keep ourselves posted on the trade deadline. We'll talk more about any acquisitions Detroit might make uh, next week. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk NFL Combine and that awesome game between OKC and uh, Golden State. So we'll be back in a minute. And now we're back. You can talk some NFL now. What could be the Combine happen in this football drought? I'd like to first point out that Bosa, there's. Reports going both ways on him. Good yeah, man. I mean, I, all I know is for the 40 time, I saw that he ran, like, the 10th slowest time for the last 11 defensive ends drafted in the top 10. So Yeah, but his uh, three-cone drill and short shuttle were almost exactly on point with Khalil Mack, who we all know turned out to be a beast in the league. Yeah, that's good, I mean... So what are we talking about with Bosa here? Why? What was he projected to go? Because he might be number one overall. Yeah, he's projected as a so top. So do we three think he's right? number one pick? Oh, well, so the biggest my pick's thirteen, man. Right, <laughs> So the biggest thing too is, I mean, is is the speed? Is the forty a good evaluation of you know 
his, his preparation for the combine. I mean, what, what was his bench press? Does anyone know? Uh, no. We'll look it up. I mean, I mean here's I, the thing too, though. I mean, it, it's the style of the it's the style of the uh, the player. I mean, is he, if he's more of like a strong guy who who stuffs the tackle and plays more of the run, um, I mean that that's a good thing for a team to have too. And then he's got the pass rushing ability, you know, a natural pass rushing ability. Maybe maybe he's more of a like a, you know a strength rusher rather than a speed rusher. Um, so I mean, it, it, that kind of all comes into play in my mind. Um, but I mean, is is the combine a good evaluation of how a guy's going to perform in the NFL? I think for the most part, it shows obviously that if you have a good combine, you're a good athlete. And you know, I'd say a lot of the time that the skill and the combine uh, success would you know. Go one one in uh, hand in hand with one another, but I think that there's something to be said about guys who can just play play football too. So I think it's both, but for the most part, yeah. But there's guys that probably have terrible. I mean, what's the big example that we like Tom Brady? You know, there's there's exceptions. Put the pads on, and see what happens. You know. Yeah, I think that's that's a big thing there, and I, to me, the combine it's more about the commitment. If they have a good combine. That they're they're definitely committed and they worked hard on their own time to uh, to prepare for it. So, um, in a I guess in a, a whole a holistic view standpoint or however you want to say it, um, if a player comes ready to rock, knocks out the combine, uh, and he's projected to go first or second round, um, you know, and he, and he does he does well, you know, answering questions. Um, it, 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 it does show a level of commitment to, to the job and everything and how he might perform come, uh, come training camp. You also got to watch out for guys. I was watching SportsCenter today before I went into work, and uh, I forget the gentleman's name, but he's a cornerback from Florida. And, uh, you know, they were talking about how he's a, he's a track star. So you got to watch out because his 40 times really fast, but they were saying he's really linky. His ball skills are kind of bad. So even though his numbers might go through the roof at the combine, as far as speed and then athleticism goes, um, they're saying they might even transition him to safety, and he's not that good of a good of a football player. I mean, we see that a lot though. Is you see these receivers who go out there and they run a four three forty, and everybody's raving about their speed, right? And then you put them on the field, and it's like, okay, cool, yeah. So they ran a four three, and they're facing a guy who runs a four five. But then the ball comes to him and they can't even catch the ball. Exactly. If you can't catch well, that, the ball, you're not going to be a good receiver. Well, I don't that, think or they get stuffed at the line when they're when they're trying to get off the line by the corner, you know. So they might be a fast guy, but he, he was fast off the line without somebody in his face, you know. Yeah. And that's one thing. is like for me, the combine should be it can't make you, but it can break you. Because if you show up to the combine fat, out of shape, and you do horrible, that – to me, shows a lack of commitment and work ethic, where if you show up in shape, yeah, that's good, you got work ethic, but it shouldn't be taken to these extremes that some people take it to, where you see these guys who are just athletic freaks, but they can't really play the game of football. Right. I mean... I like the combine, because when you see, like, Calvin out there just had an absolute combine, that was just fun to watch. Uh, What is it, 43-inch vertical, something like that? That's just crazy to think that he can jump almost four feet in the air. But, like, it can make you in some cases. Like, Langford was, like, supposed to be a fifth, sixth-round pick, and then he had the fastest 40 time last year for any running back, and now he's going to be the starting running back for the Bears next year. And it yeah, can... I think in that perspective, too, is a lot of these guys, they play in different conferences. They might never face, even in bowl games, 
they might never face some of these other defenses or, or someone else in college football. And college football is so big. But when the combine comes together and you put all the receivers from all over the country into, into one category, you see how they kind of size up. Um, I mean, the film, the film at the end of the day tells you what kind of player they are, you know, as far as catching the ball and making plays. But um, like you said, Jerry, I mean, when, when it comes to the combine and they all prepare – Who's you know who's ready to lace him up and, and get her going? By the way, Bosa had twenty four reps on the combine. That's uh, that's kind of not that great. <laughs> A lot of the DNs that were in the that range though. I mean, somebody did get thirty three. Chris Myers from Georgia. Chris yeah. Mays. But the average number is probably around probably right around twenty five. Looking at this list. Really? Yeah. But why is it because of the long arms? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Salih Calhoun at 23. Those is a big dude. I, I figured he'd get more than that. Yeah, but you just got to think about that. Like, when you're repping, isn't it 225 that they do? Yeah, like, you're going to just get exhausted from it. And, you know, I mean, that to me isn't, like, a real measure of strength. Like, it shows, yeah, some strength. But at the same time, like, everybody's going to reach a point where they're tired. To me, that more shows your stamina. And you to keep lifting. I mean, it's cool to watch those guys bench press 225 that many times because I think it's a great feat, but you don't bench press somebody on a football field 25 times in a row. You know what I mean? Either you can play or you can't, and they're going to find that out in training camps, in preseason, and the real games. Yeah, and, and just from watching your film from college. More news out of the combine, which is actually really depressing, is Jalen Smith, who could have been potentially the number one pick, blew out his ACL against Ohio State. And now they're saying he has nerve damage and he's going to miss the entire season this year and could miss maybe his whole career. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that, that's just absolutely brutal. I mean, me, me being a big Irish fan, um, the guy played, you know, amazing, amazing for the, you know, the Irish three straight years. He was a starter since he was a freshman. Freak athlete. Um, I mean, he would have been a dream for any any NFL defense, especially because he's probably going to go later, uh, probably like you know between ten and fifteen, or maybe even just before ten on the draft board. Um, so he, he probably would end up on a team that was, was probably more on the up and up. It's a bad job by Notre Dame there. What's that? It's a bad job by not taking care of him, man. They 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 wore him down. Oh, did they? <laughs> I'm messing with you. Yeah, I mean, it, it is one of those things. It's that just, it's just sad, you know. Like, yeah, it's better he has we whole find life out in front now. of him, and now he people tell their ACL every day and come back. Adrian Peterson came back, got like two thousand five yards or two thousand ninety five yards in a season, but you just tear it the wrong way, and you might never play football again. And that, I mean, he could have been one of the greats, but we might never know. Yeah, and he was, and he was a good guy too. You know, you never heard anything about him off the field. Uh, pretty quiet athlete. Um, Kind of, he kind of reminded me, uh, you know, I hate to draw comparisons because he, he obviously never had an NFL career yet, but, uh, you know, like how Kelvin Johnson kind of composes himself. He's not he's – he's a quiet dude. He kind of he kind of performs quietly. He, he was kind of a similar way. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the facts of life, though, when you're playing football, it's a violent game and people get hurt. And the unfortunate part is for a lot of these kids is that it's basically their one shot to make it. And, I mean, we were kind of joking about this earlier. Is like the stereotype of the dumb jock, and you see it a lot in football players where these guys, they're not the smartest, and this is their one chance to make it big is playing football. Especially, with, you know, down those, some of those southern schools like Florida and everything. I mean, 
don't even know if some of these guys even go to class. Um, they really just go there to play football. You know what really doesn't go to class are basketball players, man. They play so many basketball games now. How the oh, hell yeah. are you in a class I mean, when you're Marsh Madness? Well, they, they start out the season down in, uh, like, Hawaii and, the, what, the Caribbean or some of those tournaments. Oh, yeah, they're playing. Yeah, they're, they're not even, uh... Puerto Rico. Like, Michigan State played in Germany a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when, when are they supposed to be doing class and stuff? I mean, it's good. They don't. It, it's turning into kind of a joke as far as college sports goes, you know, for a lot of these athletes. They don't... I don't even know what kind of education they actually get. Um, I mean, unfortunately... With Notre Dame, they actually do go to class, and some of them are, are pursuing careers now and not going to be playing next year. If you uh, want to get a good education as a football player, you can, but it's not like they f- – the athlete definitely comes before the student. Like, if you wanted to be general oh, studies yeah. major and take kinesiology 101 through 402, just run around in the gym all day, they're fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if you're an athlete and you want to take advantage of the – fact that you are getting a free education it's a good thing and you should and that's one thing where i would say the ncaa you can tell they they're all about the money they're not about the student athletes they don't want to pay them because they want to make money and they want to do this whole oh they're amateurs or amateurs yeah they're amateurs who are making programs in the ncaa itself millions of dollars a year and for them their only shot to make millions is if they can make it to the NFL. And well, some of these guys... They're going to be free so, And so now that we're kind of going down this rabbit hole, I feel like we're too deep to go back. It should, should college athletes be paid? Uh, yeah. I think that you should be paid based on the amount your uh, money your program bank brings in, though. So, like, women's field hockey isn't going to get paid as much as right. men's football. You know, you should get paid based on what you bring right. in. And it should be like a certain percentage every player gets. Yeah, so I mean, like at Michigan State, I mean, their, their football and basketball players are going to bring in a lot, so they should they'll probably be getting paid, you know, the most, right? But I mean, you look at uh, at, at University of Michigan, they're they're taking the they're taking the uh, team down to what Florida or something for spring break. Yeah, for spring practice on spring break, they're going to do spring practice down in Florida at IMG Academy. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's kind of a lot of time and stuff. I mean, that's supposed to be their break from classes, the football season, and everything. And and now they're going down for a mini camp over spring break. I mean, it is getting to the point in my mind where you know if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna take these guys down there and do this kind of stuff with them, you, get, you pay them. You, you got to pay the kids. Yeah, I mean, the the here's day, my thing: they can't have a job because of the fact that they're a student athlete. So let's look at the fact that most college students are working a, at least a part-time job. I know when I was in college, I worked at a job at the school, and the university rules were you couldn't work more than 20 hours a week as a student, so it was only a part-time job. But so in that aspect, I'd say you go to all the all the Division One schools, all the Division Two schools, and you figure out basically what is the average that each division or even the whole NCAA those colleges and universities pay their on-campus workers in a regular campus job, and you say that's the minimum you have to pay them, but then the bigger profile programs, those are going to get more money because those are the more premier jobs, and I kind of put the air quotes around jobs there because they're athletes and everything, but at the same time it is still a job for them and this is how they're going to make an income. 
they should also extend the amount of time you have to finish taking classes. So that way, when you're playing football, you take, you need 12 to be a full-time student, so you're taking that's pretty much three classes. But you give them like six to seven years to finish with a degree. So let's say they go to the combine, they don't get drafted, they're not going to play in the NFL. They can finish out their those remaining credits still on the school's dime, where they can actually have time to study and be a real student and maybe get a better, like a business degree, accounting degree, something like that. Versus and they just can't play right. football for that time. Like, yeah, no, you're not playing football. Anymore. Yeah, I mean that makes sense because that would well, maybe, maybe be... they can even maybe they can even intern too with the football team and, and possibly be a trainer. I mean, if they just finished four years playing college football. There's gonna be a lot of freshmen coming in that they can mentor and everything and stay with the team, and it kind of keeps a program going, you know. Also, I mean, in that aspect, when you're talking, like Jerry said, with a business degree, you can take a guy who's working on a business degree and didn't make the NFL, you make him an intern in your football program in one of the, like, sales offices or something, and that way they're getting some actual business experience, and then they can actually look at getting into a job in the NFL front office from there. Yeah, and, and, and one other thing, too, I want to I bring up is, what does every athlete on these teams get when they go to a big bowl game? Like an iPod like, or something? They get like exactly, some shopping spray. Exactly. Frank, Frank, what the, Frank, say that one more time. What do they get when they uh, get to a big bowl iPods, game? iPods, electronics, uh, just commodities. Exactly. So the NCAA is already toying with the line of giving them gifts, uh, money, <laughs> and all, all these other things. I mean, you, you, they get an Xbox that costs like $400 or something. You might as well pay the guy to be in the damn game anyways, right? I know, yeah. it all depends on the bowl. A couple of years ago, the Outback Bowl was a $500 gift card to Best Buy, but when you're talking, yeah. if you make the national championship, it's like you get a $1,000 home theater system plus, you know, it's absolutely extravagant what these kids are getting. And so you can't pay them to go out there and maybe risk their life. I mean, we can all agree they should be paid. They're all, it's, they're getting things on the record like we just talked about and off the record, which they all do except for, you know, Notre Dame and Michigan. But I mean, it's they should be paid, and it just there's the only question would be the format. Yeah, Michigan only plays their basketball program. Okay, but But, I mean, what I was also kind of trying to get at is, like I was saying, is in addition to paying them, they need to do more in trying to help them succeed in life beyond sports, because that's like what Jerry was saying. You know, let them come back to school if they don't get drafted and still go to school for free. They just can't play on the team. Because that's going to help you where you're going to get guys coming to your school because you do have those good academics. So even if they can't make it at the pro level or they get hurt and they blow out their knee in their junior year and they're going to go or senior year and they're going to go undrafted, then they can finish up their classes. They can get a legitimate degree from your school and they can actually have a chance at a future instead of ending up another broke athlete on the street. No, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So. All right, coming up, we got uh, OKC versus Golden State. Big, thrilling game in the NBA. And then we also have the McGregor-Diaz fight coming up on UFC Woo! next weekend. So when we get back... We're Call the McGregor. <laughs> the shot boy apparently there's a big basketball game <laughs> well not only was this chef curry shot great at the end what are you doing you can't do the hands you gotta spit it out man we gotta all right are you pausing it no it's going 
Fucking hey, guys, come on, get your get together. Uh, Gerard just ruined my intro. Go ahead, go. I'm not. I mean, it was a big game. It was the end of a road trip for Golden State. It looked like a game that they could easily lose because they've lost every game they've lost. It's been on the road so far this year. And they actually were playing really bad early on, and they came back to win it in overtime there. What's crazy is they were down four with 14 seconds to go, and they somehow tied it. That's what I'm more... Steph Curry can shoot. Everyone knows that, but coming back from four to 14 seconds, that's really just on OKC. That's just sloppy, you know? So, to me, there are guys that can shoot, and then there are guys that can shoot clutch, and then there's very, very few guys who can do both. Man, oh man, Steph Curry, man. He, God, one one stat I saw on ESPN last night: Curry has ten straight uh, ten three-point games. So there's there's ten games in a row where he's at least hit 30, 30 points um, from the three-point line every game. I mean, holy crap! Yeah, I think he had twelve in the game. It's a single-game record, twelve. Yeah, tying the single And he's record. already broken his record for threes in a season with 20-some games left, about 20. Yeah, I mean, he's just ridiculous. If you add his numbers from last year and this year together, he's made more three-pointers in two years than Larry Bird made his entire career. Yeah, that's... She's old Pete's, man. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. Everybody will say Jordan's the greatest, but he couldn't do this. No, I mean, this guy, I mean, he... The thing, the thing also about Curry is he can also drive the ball as well. I mean, he, he makes that quick little move uh, up at the three-point line. You know, it's it's kind of like the whole uh, the football analogy that some teams use. You, you pass to set up the run. Um, he kind of posts up on the three-point line like he's going to shoot, and then they, they commit. And then, you know, just like that, he's, he's driving to the basket uh, pretty much untouched. Um, I mean, he, gosh, I mean, he, he's pretty good. Um, yeah, and one of the things is when you see a lot of his threes, they're not just like two inches behind the arc. They're two feet beyond the arc. He's shooting from way out there, which is because so many guys, they play off of him enough because they don't want him driving past them. So they're like, oh, we'll let him shoot this three. But then he's shooting a three, and he's draining it no problem from two feet beyond the arc. Well, don't, don't forget last year, too, in the playoffs, I think they were down three. And he hit a three-pointer to push that game to overtime and end up winning. So this is not the first time he's hit those clutch shots. I mean, the guys, the guys just kind of starting to rack up these uh, these clutch moments, and they're kind of becoming second nature to him. And that's that's a dangerous thing uh, for a team like this heading to the playoffs. That, that says a lot about a group who's a, who's a championship team. And even though their their record is absolutely ridiculous right now, it shows a commitment to winning. And it shows a commitment to uh, to making another run at this. I mean, I, I don't know. A lot of people are wondering, you know, what's going to happen come free agent season uh, to a lot of these players. Um, a group like this comes around once, once in a very long time, and if if they could keep it together, they they could they could win four titles. Um, I mean, does that happen in this day and age in sports? I don't know, but they they could they could do it if they if they stay together long enough. Well, LeBron, my man, is just saving it for the playoffs, and they're gonna the the Warriors are gonna burn out in the regular season, just like a couple of the Red Wings team did did back in the day when they won the Presidents' trophies. They're gonna fade out. LeBron, he's saving it, conserving the gas tank, and then he's gonna kick it into attack mode, and they won't even win one. Not this year. They already got their one. That's it. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you think about those old teams uh, for the Red Wings. I mean, they, they won in the regular season because they had a lot of skill and a lot of, you know, um, you know, teams weren't really to kind of weren't really willing to go with that physical, you know, throughout 82 games. And when the playoffs came, they kind of physically dominated Detroit. And it, it took Detroit a while to kind of get the physicality back to win a cup. And basketball is just not that physical, you know. It, you know, and this, this I understand. That, Talking about physicality, you've got a pretty big fight coming up next Saturday in the UFC, huh? Yeah, we got McGregor and Diaz, and, and Tony is kind of our UFC expert. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you explain us the significance of that fight, Tony? Okay, so McGregor knocked out Jose Aldo to win the featherweight, which is a 145-pound title. After that, he came out and said he wanted to challenge for the 155-pound title. So they set it up. Him and Rafael Dos Anjos are supposed to fight. Uh, Dos Anjos just broke his foot. Allegedly broke his foot. I haven't seen these x-rays. <laughs> Bruised. But, so, I mean, he's out of the fight. Which I thought that was going to be a pretty tough fight for McGregor just because when you saw the McGregor-Mendez fight, Mendez took him down with ease in the first round. But then, because he took that fight on short notice, he didn't have the gas tank, I think, for that fight. And he was gassed by the second round and got knocked out by McGregor. Where now you're looking at a fight with Dos Anjos where Dos Anjos is a guy who's known for being extremely skilled on the ground. And McGregor's a stand-up guy, so I was I thought that was going to be a tough fight for him, especially because he was going to be moving up in weight. Even though I know McGregor is a really big guy for a featherweight, and until he got to the UFC, he did fight at 155 pounds. But this next fight um, is going to be Nate Diaz is going to step in for Dos Anjos, and because of the short notice, Nate Diaz isn't going to be able to make the 155 pound limit. So it's going to be at 170, which is welterweight, which, I mean, that's really a big step up. Though I think Diaz was a good choice for the UFC to put in that matchup just because of the fact that McGregor is their hottest commodity and you got to kind of protect him a little bit. So that way he can get a win. Yes, yeah, at 170 and it looks good. But he's facing a guy who isn't known for his wrestling. He's a boxing and jiu-jitsu guy. But his boxing is punches and bunches. It's not a lot of power. And McGregor's a guy who he's just going to sit there and he'll throw some jabs, he'll find his range, and then he'll hit you with that left hand and knock you out. One thing, too, is cutting weight for fights takes a lot out of you. Um, cutting, cutting weight in general takes a lot out of you. And McGregor's not going to have to cut weight at all. If anything, he's going to put on a little bit of weight. And his energy for the fight should be, uh, if anything, it should be up. You know he's not gonna have to. He's not even gonna have to really worry about the skill, if you ask me. Um, I don't know if he wants to put too much weight on because of his ambitions at, at lower weight classes. But uh, you know, I think I think for him, uh, you know, with, with the body and everything, uh, he should feel pretty good um, stepping into the into the octagon. I'll tell you what, I'm happy to see McGregor fight any time, but I was really looking forward to him maybe getting that win and getting that second belt because that's what he really wanted. He said himself he was a little bit of a letdown. But, I mean, I, it's a good sell, and Nate Diaz is a good opponent for him. I, I just think that this is a, more of just like Tony was kind of saying. It's kind of a fluffer. I think it's a good sell, and he'll whoop his, beat him down, and, uh, and he'll just get that – he'll fight somebody else for the second belt or maybe even maybe back at 145 well, I mean, for his own it's belt. It's Nate Diaz. 
He's a trash talker. He's the guy who's gonna be in the ring saying, "Come on, bitch, hit me." It's a sell. Fucking hit me sell. already. But uh, I don't think there's any cool. argument with talent. In the UFC's defense, what, they have like two, three weeks' notice to get some guy ready. To yeah, play? I think it was eleven days. These Brazilians are pretty scared of this Northern Irishman. Or where's he? Probably Ir- Irish. Is Irish? <clears throat> he even said in the press conference too that uh, that Aldo was supposed to be training to maybe be the backup in case Desanio's pulled out, and also. Um, who was the other one? Somebody else was supposed to be training too, and neither one of them wanted to step up. So that's why Frankie he Edgar. Frankie Edgar, yeah. So no one wanted to do it, and so they had to make this adjustment for the one seventy, yeah. which was I, th- I also heard originally supposed to be one sixty or one sixty five, and McGregor just said, "Screw it, give him one seventy. Yeah, I mean, it's it was like I was saying there, you know, protecting their investment. I mean, a, a short notice fight against Frankie Edgar, who's a guy who's known for jumping in and out. Throwing quick punches and using that to kind of lull you into a false sense of security, and then he hits you with that takedown. Once he once he thinks you're not thinking about that, or you come out, you're thinking about the takedown, and then he's just going to land a bunch of shots on you. And it's a fight that you. Do, I mean, here's one thing you got to think about with all fighters: you don't want to take a fight that's a bad matchup stylistically on short notice because it doesn't give you time to. Do a lot of drilling and training on things you're going to see in a fight where when you throw out a guy like Nate Diaz out there, he's a guy who's a ground guy. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 got great Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but he uses that against guys who take him down. If a guy's not going to take him down, he's going to stand there and where he beats you usually is his hand speed and he throws a lot of punches and he just kind of slowly beats you up, but he doesn't really hit with a lot of power where he's going to be able to knock you out. McGregor said it pretty well. He said there's similar style fighters, just that the skill level is just on a different level. So that's what yeah. I, I agree. And a, and, a, and a big thing for fighting, too, is, uh, you know, they, they, they call it, you know, staying busy. And I think for McGregor, he was, he was trained to fight. Uh, I think he wants to fight. It sounds like he really, really wants to fight. Um, but it keeps him busy, gets him a paycheck. Um, you know, you got to make a living, and you, you got to you got to keep your uh, yourself relevant because I mean, ranking rankings come from guys who, who keep busy and keep winning. Um, and so if he wants to if he wants to fight uh, the fights he he wants, um, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to stay busy and, and kind of you know play the UFC's game as well. Um, it's, so, he's great news for the UFC. He's putting him back on the map with Silva going away, John Jones and his coke problem, and GSP disappearing on us. There's a oh GSP done. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, GSP. I think just kind of got tired of the whole fight game. I think he just started drinking once he got hurt that one time. But <clears throat> I gotta be careful when I say this. But I'm also a little excited because I've already been called soft once today. I don't want to make it twice, but I am a little excited <laughs> to see uh, Holly Holm in action, but that's just a side note. Oh yeah, her and Misha Tate, that should be a good it's fight. Are they fight. fighting this weekend? It's going to be a good yeah, fight. Yeah, that's the Saturday as well. That's the co-main event. Yeah. I'm excited. When does Ronnie Rousey fight again? Uh, it's probably, they they were saying this summer, now they're talking possibly f- pushing it out to the fall. I know there was an issue there because her trainer uh, lied on his cornerman's license for one of his other fights in California and they suspended his license indefinitely and then they just had a hearing and they set it at a three month suspension of his cornerman's license and that's the, that's her trainer that's the only guy who's ever cornered her so that kind of put an issue and there was, there was actually talk about if they didn't uh, set a time frame on that or if they set it at a year or something that we might be seeing that rematch take place uh, in Australia or overseas somewhere that doesn't have an athletic commission because in the US the athletic commission's even though they're all independent state by state, 
they'll honor each other's suspensions. So we're going right. to see Ronda Rousey, Holly Holmes 2 Bloodsport style in Thailand? Is that what you're telling me? Well, no. I mean, it was set at a three-month suspension, so... That would be good. She that is suicidal, so... Yeah. She got a dunk, though. Did you see the sports Illustrated swimsuit? Oh, oh yeah. Ronda Rousey in the swimsuit edition again. I mean... Jerry's got that in the bathroom downstairs. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, I keep that in the upstairs bathroom. That's that refined jerk. Oh, boy. Oh, my it's God. classy, huh? It says classy in the upstairs bathroom rather than going downstairs. You, Stick, you know her uh, boyfriend is a heavyweight in the UFC, right? Travis Brown. <laughs> I'm sure he's got bigger worries than us. Yeah, like his, his, his pending like domestic violence case against his uh, wife. It's not like right, he's guys. texting her on the reg here. Back in order. Hey, I'm just, I mean, yeah. Ronda Rousey, let's call out Floyd Mayweather for domestic violence while I'm dating a guy who's still married to a woman who he's got pending cases against for domestic violence because he beat up his actual wife. And right. well, Rousey now, just said that crap to get her name in the media, man. Speaking right, of so swimsuits, so we got to get the, in future episodes, we still got to do that the booty contest or the top booties or whatever. whatever. Top booties in sports? Yeah, oh, the top yeah. booties in sports. That's, that's to come, booties. ladies and gentlemen. That's to come. So let's, let's, uh, let's, let's leave that on the table. So for, for all the responses and, and emails that we could you know bring in, uh, if anyone has any suggestions out there for top booties in sports, uh, girls only, please. Females, um, yes. Thank you. I was just going to say refuse, that. I refuse to vote on the males. We're not that type of show. Um Send send them in, and we'll uh, we'll consider those those options for the uh, the count. But uh, when we come back, we'll have the big closer, and uh, and we'll see what's on tap for next week. All right, guys, RSF, uh, we're wrapping things up. It's been a great show. Um, we're gonna be back hopefully next Sunday, next week, and uh, we're gonna bring a little more little more thunder. Today was a great episode. Um, we got some things coming up, uh, basketball related. Uh, we're going to have that, that McGregor fight results from that and the Holly Holm that we talked about. We'll, we'll talk about that, amongst other things. Um, I hate to cut it short, but me and Gerard got a little uh, tail chasing to do. We don't all have the lovely wives at home waiting for us. we got to hunt for our meals, if you know what I mean. So um, we're going to wrap things up here. I'm going to pass it over to Tony. And um, it's been great, and more to come. Yeah, I mean, so we got, uh, with the wings coming up this week, we got... We're at Dallas uh, tomorrow, Monday night. Then we're home against Chicago on Wednesday. And we're at Chicago on Sunday at 5. So we'll have those three games to talk about next week, which it's going to be a tough stretch for the Wings playing the top two teams in the West. So hopefully... And we're also going to have a lot more fan response. I forgot to say that. There's going to be a lot. We're going to have some questions from the fans next week. I guarantee that. So we'll read those off and answer what the people want to hear. Yeah, I mean, talking about the fan response, we have we have had some fan response other than just the email calling Frank soft for apologizing. All right, <laughs> but uh, Tony, the broken record, Preston. Oh my God! Thank you. But so, thanks everybody for listening to episode four of the Revolutionary Sports Front. You know, we're available on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can subscribe to us there. Leave us ratings to let us know how we're doing. You can. Find us on Facebook at Revolutionary Sports Front, which is facebook.com slash revolutionary sports front is the URL. Twitter.com slash RSF podcast. You can hit us up on you know either of the social media sites to let us know how we're doing. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You can find the show at revolutionarysportsfront.com. Leave comments under the episodes there if you want or 
if you don't want everybody to see what you're saying about us, you can just shoot us an email at revolutionarysportsfront at gmail.com. And thanks for being a part of the Sports Revolution. Adios, amigos!